0: Shall we all pray? Loving Lord Jesus, we pray that you will speak to each and every one of us through your word here this morning. For these are your words, words that you spoke so many years ago, the words of truth, of power and love. We pray, Lord, that you will help us in faith to listen and to hear that voice and to respond in faith. For Jesus Christ's sake, amen. I seem to be eating this microphone. John's Gospel has been called the most amazing book that has been written. It's also been said about John's Gospel that here we meet Jesus Christ in all his majesty and tenderness. Someone else has also said that John's Gospel is the simplest and yet the most profound of the Christian gospels. One outstanding feature of John's Gospels are the verses are the chapters fourteen to seventeen that are called the farewell discourses, in which the Lord Jesus speaks his farewell message <coughs> to his beloved disciples. before knowing full well <coughs> the terrible suffering that was before him one fact that stands out about the disciples I'm sure for you and for me is this that they were chosen by him they didn't say to themselves one morning I'd like to be a disciple he chose them he chose them he said you come and follow me whatever they were doing at that moment he called them And they left absolutely everything. They left their possessions, their family, absolutely everything. And these men were, you could say, the most blessed and privileged group of people ever on this earth because they saw the wonderful miracles that he performed. They heard the astonishing teaching that Jesus gave. And yet at the same time, these men were just very ordinary human beings, uh, just like you and me. In some cases, you could say they were deeply flawed. Sometimes we see themselves seeking, proud, lacking in faith, just like every one of us here this morning. They were just ordinary people. And yet Jesus called them, and despite everything about them, there's that lovely verse, he loved them to the very end. He loved them to the very end. In this chapter fourteen, our Lord Jesus implies something that you could call their humanness. I can't. Is there such a word as humanness? Is, is there? A, oh, thank you. There isn't. I don't think so. Uh, but anyway, I'm going to use it. <coughs> uh, in this chapter, Jesus refers to their humanness. In other words, that they were prone like you and me to feeling troubled. And And he does this in verse 1 and verse 28 when he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The Lord Jesus said that not in criticism but in tender compassion and despite all the terrible suffering that he knew lay ahead of him. Jesus was unique in so many ways. He knew that he was going to die. He knew that he was going to die soon. And he knew what sort of death he was going to die. And none of us know these things, fortunately, about ourselves. And what he did in that moment was that he turned away from himself. He turned away from himself and he turned to them. Isn't that incredible? Knowing that all that was to befall him all that he was to experience, he didn't turn to himself, he turned instead to them. And he turns to their troubled hearts, to those who have perceptible anxiety. I wonder why they were feeling like this. Well, probably the most obvious reason was that he said on a number of occasions, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you. And that left them with a deep feeling of gloom and sadness. After all, their lives have been so wrapped up in Jesus. For at least three years, they'd seen him, they'd seen everything about him, they'd witnessed his so incredible things, so many incredible things. And now, he was going to leave them. And that left them devastated and absolutely crushed. How would they manage without him? How could they possibly live without him? There might have been other things going on inside them. They might have felt overwhelmed with the idea that uh, he called them to to do a great work. It almost implied that what they were going to do was very similar to what he was to, to what he did. And they felt overwhelmed. Whatever it was, deep down inside them was the thought that he was going to leave them. This was the main cause of their anxiety, them feeling very low and anxious. Now, there's much in this world to make people feel like that. Many in the third world, of course, like proper food, shelter, health, care, and so on. And this easily explains their despondency. Nature itself can be awful, can't it? We've just seen it in America. We grumble at our weather, but goodness gracious, next minute a tornado destroys uh, thousands of homes. And we also can see the global political matters that are being... Uh, seen on our television day by day what's President Putin going to do next what's he going to do next is he going to fall in with the Chinese what will that mean for the rest of the world all these things can and do make people anxious But as followers of Jesus Christ, God's son, we too can feel now and again anxious, low and afraid. Now one time I was brought up with the idea that if you're a Christian, you experience a victorious life completely. Day by day, moment by moment, whatever. You're on cloud nine. Now I don't agree with that view anymore. (laughs) Not that I've ever perhaps agreed with it. Because I don't think it's true to experience, and I don't think it's true to the Bible. Um, We need to remember, of course, um, that Jesus knows everything about us. That he's praying for you and for me, moment by moment. Uh, And also, as Romans chapter 8 says, nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. So there's much to encourage us. When we do become despondent and dispirited and anxious and afraid, there is much in God's word to encourage us. But let us look at these this chapter here very quickly, John chapter 14, to see what the Lord said to these men who at this point in their time were feeling just like that, absolutely afraid of the next minute they were anxious and he knew that do not let your hearts be troubled do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid he knew what was going on inside them and one thing is absolutely certain and it's this what he said to them then he now says to you and me now and what Jesus gives isn't sort of simply good advice it's not just simply sound counselling it's not just a sort of pious wish uh, don't worry friends, everything will turn out okay tomorrow nothing like that at all what Jesus said was that in essence was I want you men to freely to finally understand who I am and what I'm able to give for you and that is remarkable isn't it we see the gifts and the giver because Jesus is unique in himself he offers you and me unique benefits and gifts that no one else can possibly give and in this chapter, Jesus refers to his uniqueness. He says in, in, in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one is able to come to me except, through the, except to the Father, except through him. Here was Jesus giving an absolute claim about himself. A claim that no one else could possibly make of themselves. And it's just on that basis of his uniqueness that Jesus offers you and me this morning, these unique gifts and benefits and blessings. So let us turn very quickly to these three, to these three blessings, these gifts. And they're all dependent, and this is what the disciples were worried about. He's going away, we're panicking. We don't know what's going to happen. Jesus says to them, yes, I'm going away, but there are benefits (coughs) of my absence. There are benefits, there are blessings of my absence. In other words, if I don't go away, you're not going to be blessed in the way I want you to be blessed. (coughs) So Jesus points then to a place, a presence, and a peace. Let's look at these very quickly. First of all, Jesus refers to or reminds them of the place, of a place, the promise of glory. Here, Jesus is saying to these disciples, and to you and to me, I want you to grasp hold of the glorious, amazing, future, ultimate destiny that I have for you. He says, Friends, why are you feeling distressed and anxious? I want you to look not just to the future (laughs) but to the future future. To the ultimate future. Because he says, my friends, my, my father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. Jesus Reminds them of this place. this place in glory that one day they will enter into. I am going to prepare a place for you. Jesus is going ahead for a specific purpose. He's opening the way for them. So that ultimately they themselves will be with him in glory. And that place is my father's house. I take that to be heaven, to be glory. God's eternal home, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. That is where they will be going. What's the best definition of heaven? Where Jesus is. Where Jesus is. That's where it will be. He says, where I am, there you will be also. They will have the wonderful assurance of eternal life in his heavenly home. They will be secure in their future destiny. And it's a place like no other place. It's the Father's house. It's where God is. It's where Jesus is. And he has many, many rooms. So there's no worry about being left outside <laughs> Because there's room after room after room after room after room. And it may be surprised who will meet in eternity with him. But because there's so many, so many rooms. Someone said, heaven is as wide as the heart of God. Heaven is as wide as the heart of God. And then he says, I will come back and take you to be with me. I take this to be a reference to the second coming, the second future coming of Jesus, when he will come and bring those who belong to him, those who are dead at the time and those who are living, will be with him forever. And we we read in much more detail those majestic words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 14. These are incredible words incredible words Uh, perhaps you could read those uh, some other time when it says that we shall be ever with the Lord the Lord himself will come down from heaven and that we will meet him in the air and so we will be with him forever and ever you see history is leading History is going somewhere. History is not at the mercy of the whims and passions of politicians and tyrants. The reins of history are firmly in the hands of the God of history. When all those who belong to him will be with him forever and ever. And that time is drawing daily nearer and nearer. Much of this, of course, is beyond we can possibly imagine. Things we can't understand fully. But what the Lord is asking you and me is, don't get bogged down in the detail. Just accept that this is what's going to happen to you ultimately. This is your ultimate destiny, if you belong to me. That was the ultimate destiny of the disciples and its ultimate destiny for you and for me. The sceptic will say, all of this is escapism. What you're doing is you're thinking not of this world, but you're thinking of something else. And that's true. We don't need to apologise for it. We don't need to apologise for the fact that we rejoice in eternity. We rejoice in being with him forever But these next two gifts or blessings sort of find the balance because the emphasis here is not on the future but on the present. Isn't that remarkable? The scriptures and Jesus himself manages to arrive at this balance, if you like, between the future and the present. He says... I will always be with you. What I'm going to do now, what I'm going to mention now, is things that you will experience here and now, in time, not in eternity. So let's look at these very quickly. He took, he, he's mentioned a place, Jesus now mentions a presence. Here, Jesus is saying to them and to you and to me, You have been given a continued helper. And Jesus terms this, this has been termed an advocate, a counselor, a helper, a comforter, one who is alongside. This has a sort of legal meaning. It means someone is prepared in court to stand up for someone else and plead their cause. And this is what the Holy Spirit does for you and for me. He is with us, He is in us. He's alongside us. And the Holy Spirit has been given by the Father in my name. Again, for people outside, all of this is just weird and cannot be understood. But we know that it is true that we have God's Holy Spirit within us if we belong to him. He's put that spirit in you and me. He lives within us day by day. And he does it in very practical ways, as Jesus mentions here. Um, The advocate, the counselor, the spirit is there to help. He helps us in our time of need. He enables us to do things that we would never, ever possibly be able to do on our own. He gives us the words, he gives us the energy, he gives us the strength, he gives us absolutely everything because he is with us and in us. And it's not a presence that's today, uh, with us today and gone tomorrow. Jesus said, I will be with you forever. It's as clear and as final and as absolute as that. He's with us is with you and me. We might not have some sort of tingly feeling about it, but we know that it is true that he lives and by his grace and mercy reigns within us. So that, as Jesus said to his disciples and to you and to me, we're not left alone. We're not being abandoned like an orphan, he says in verse 18. We're not... Without a father, we have someone who is closer than a human father could possibly be. He's always loving, he's always gentle, he's always kind. And the spirit is active in our lives, Jesus says here, to the disciples. He will teach you all things and remind you of everything. And that's true, isn't it? Now and again, walking down the street, whatever, and then something, pops in and that's the spirit speaking to us he's reminding us of things that we would probably have forgotten years ago and then finally Jesus says <clears throat> to you and to me and to the disciples I've given you a place I've given you my presence and now I'm going to give you my peace I leave you, my peace I give you, I do not give as the world gives. Jesus says to these disciples, I'm giving you something that is unique, something that is not found in anyone else or anywhere else. It's my peace. It reflects my character, me. So that when we know his peace, we know more and more of him so that when we share the peace of God the peace of Christ we are sharing him also to others and it's something that is not to be found in this world Jesus says I do not give as the world gives the world might give us some sort of peace in terms of cessation of war whatever but Jesus is saying to you and to me it's something that is truly remarkable, that whatever happens to us, whatever difficulties we may be faced, whatever we may be feeling at the time, I'm going to give you a peace that passeth all understanding, a peace that will remain forever and ever. So this is Jesus' message to you and to me this morning. I've given you this future destiny. You'll be with me forever I've given you my spirit to live and to reign within you and I've given you my peace to reign with you also so that whatever happens you will know the peace of God reigning within. Let us just be still for a few moments and bring to the Saviour Bring to our God the things that trouble us, the things that make us anxious, afraid, and help us to listen to what he's saying to us from his word here this morning. All our lives, we are been told that there are things we need to know. There's knowledge that we need to grasp. There are things we need to understand about the world, about society, about history, music, and so on. And this, of course, is true. And the older you get, like me, you realise how little you do know, <laughs> and what you do know, or you felt you didn't, you did, you did know in the past, you've forgotten. But nevertheless, there are these things that we are expected ourselves as individuals and society to grasp hold of. There's a sense in which we, unless we know these things, these facts about the world and so on and so forth, then life itself, we wouldn't understand it. But from a spiritual, eternal Christian point of view, What do we need to know? What's of eternal value? What is of absolute value? Of absolute first importance? Paul touches on it in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. When he says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Putting it another way, Jesus loved me so much that he gave himself for me. And for Paul, this was his glowing and powerful testimony. He says, there's only one thing I rejoice in in this world is that Jesus died and he died for me. All the rest, not that it's irrelevant, is secondary. Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. In this very powerful statement of faith, Paul mentions two things about the cross, about the death of Jesus. That it was voluntary. He gave himself. He wasn't forced to do it. Nobody said, right, you've got to do this. He wasn't forced to do it, he gave himself. It was a conscious choice. He gave himself. And also, it was substitutionary. He gave himself for me and for you. And that's all we need to know. That's all we need to know about reality, about the spiritual. That Jesus died and he died for you and for me. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain. For me who him to death pursued. Amazing love. How can it be that thou my God should die for me? (coughs) That's all we need to know. All we need to know is that Jesus died and he died for me.